at First Baptist North. And I've loved every minute of it. I've had many ministry experiences and many opportunities, whether it be teaching a Wednesday night, teaching fourth to sixth graders, working at kids camp, and so many more. And I've just been blessed by all of you so much. So thank you guys for allowing me this opportunity. And so I also want to start off by saying, no, there wasn't a mistake. I know you guys are used to seeing something about Ephesians being up on the screen behind us by now, but we're actually going to be in Romans today. So nice little change of pace. And so I'd like to invite up Heather Templeton. We're going to be in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 this morning. And so would you guys please stand in honor of the Lord's word? Good morning, church. If you are reading from the Bible in front of you, it will be on page 786. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that It was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeliness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Thank you, Heather. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity and for bringing us all here together, Lord. Father, I ask that uh, you would just be present, that all hearts here would be open to hear what you have to say to us, and that all ears would be open and listening to you, Father. And may the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, not be my words, but your words, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever wished you could reset or redo a moment of your life? Just one moment. Or maybe there are many decisions. Undo a decision you made. If you're like me, I'm sure many, many instances just came to your mind. One of those for me came in seventh grade. For those that don't know me, I love running. I've been passionate for it since a young age. It's freeing, exhilarating. Races are like no other. And I know some of you are shaking your head thinking running is the worst thing ever. I'm sorry. I hope I can change your mind eventually. But... In seventh grade, because of this passion for running, I joined the cross-country team. And so first day of practice, I'm so excited, lacing up my new shoes, stretching, I'm getting ready to run, and then the coach calls me over. Always a bad sign when the coach calls you over to talk. And so he breaks the news to me. I don't have my paperwork in. I can't run. Now most people, most people would just be like, okay. I can't run today, I'll go fill out the paperwork, come back tomorrow and be able to run, right? Well, not me. I was devastated. Devastated beyond repair. And the only thing my seventh grade mind could think of to do was to cry. Now, now, usually I'm just a one or two tier crier, but occasionally I break out with the messy sob, the waterfalls coming from the eyes, not going everywhere. And of course, that's what happened. I break down in this messy crying scene, not only in front of the coach, but in front of the entire cross-country team. Talk about embarrassing. 
And yes, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh. And so what happened after that was I went, called my parents. They came, picked me up, got the paperwork filled out. And within the week, I was running with the cross-country team. But to this day, I still wish I had changed that first impression, that first reaction. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you want to restart or redo something silly you did or something idiotic, whether it was as a kid or as adults, because as adults, we still make those mistakes. Or maybe you made a decision or some circumstance happened and you've been living in the repercussions ever since then. Maybe it's a habitual sin that keeps haunting you and you can't give yourself grace over and you wish you could go back and change your initial choice to step into it. Maybe there is someone here who just wishes they could have one reset, one huge reset for their entire life because they feel like it has just been one huge mistake. Well, today I am here to tell you that there is a reset button. Paul, leading up to the passage that Heather read for us this morning, has been discussing wrestling with sin as a Christian. Paul, one of the foremost, one of the most highly regarded Christians, struggled with sin and talked about how he wanted to do righteousness, how he wanted to do right by God, but always kept falling back into sin. And so after six verses of going on about this, Paul proceeds immediately to the next thought in chapter 8. And with that next thought, he gives the reset button. No condemnation. Let's read it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and to condemn sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So before we get too far in, I want to define what this word, this word condemnation, means for us. The root word, condemn, has several meanings one of which is to express complete disapproval of something, typically done in public. Another definition means to sentence a person to a certain punishment, usually that punishment being death. It can also mean to prove or to show the guilt of. Expounding on that, the word condemnation means to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence. It also means to pronounce guilty and to doom a prisoner to die. Some of you out there are probably like, okay, Josh, I didn't come here for an English lesson. I can't hear a sermon, which I'm glad because English is not my strong suit. But the reason I'm giving you all these definitions is to help understand the gravity that this word condemnation has. And through understanding, to help give clarity to this passage this morning. And so today, I have three main points, three truths I want to pull from this passage. Think of them as three reset buttons. But before I even touch on them, I want to state this. I've known this day was coming for a month. I've been excited and dreading it at the same time for a month. Um, but early on, the Lord revealed this passage to me. And ever since I started studying it and delving into it a bit deeper, 
I've been preaching these same three truths every day to me. So I stand up here not as one who has these all perfect, but as one who continually sees the need for God's grace. And so point number one this morning is, in Jesus, you are free from the condemnation facing everyone. Look again at verses 3 and 4. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law referred to in verses 3 and 4 is the Old Testament Mosaic law. The law that made the brutal, bloody sacrificial system that the Jewish people had necessary. And that sacrificial system required you to make a sacrifice for every sin, every shortcoming you ever did. And James, in chapter 1, makes it very clear where each of these sins, each of these shortcomings lead. In verse 15, he says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Condemnation, the penalty, because of our sin, is death. Now we humans, we don't like the thought of death. We want to get as far away from death as possible, so we try to work ourselves out of that. The Jewish people had their sacrificial system, but that wasn't enough to escape the penalty of death, and to keep them from sinning again and again. We see this littered throughout the Old Testament, where time and time again the Israelites, God's chosen people, fall back into sin and God has to pull them into correction. And nowadays, what do we try to do? We try to do good works. We try to do what's right by human standards, hoping that in that we might, we might tip the, the justice scales in the end and see that we did more good than evil, hoping that that'll be good enough to get us into heaven. But the problem is, we can never do that. Isaiah makes this perfectly clear in chapter 64. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. In the presence of an almighty God who cannot stand in the presence of our sin. All our righteous acts are nothing. It's as if we bring a filthy rag caked in dirt to polish a pure white marble table. It makes no sense. Why would you do that? It's useless. And in a similar way, that's what our righteous acts are like. And so the only way to escape death because of the sin is through the law. And so you have to live perfectly according to the law. But James has something to say about that in chapter 2. For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. The law, the Old Testament Mosaic law, is a law that no one has been able to follow, no one has been able to perfectly abide by, save one person. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus 
is the way out of condemnation. He came down to fulfill the law and to take our place, to take our punishment on himself. Isaiah spoke about this several hundred years before Jesus even came on the scene. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the reset we desperately need. He came down to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life according to the law, while showing that the law was not enough to save us. And at the end of his life, he was crucified on the cross, and our sins, our shortcomings, were laid on him. He paid the price when he died for those sins. But praise the Lord, it doesn't end there. Three days later, he rose from the grave, condemning sin and death to have no hold on those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, if you don't know that freedom that Jesus offers, that freedom from the eternal condemnation of death, This morning, I beg you not to listen to anything else that comes out of my mouth, but to turn to Jesus, the only one who can save you, and ask him for salvation. He gives it freely. Just accept it. Accept the reset he offers. Now, for those of us who are in Christ this morning, these verses speak two other things to us this morning. One of those things is that in Jesus, your sin can't condemn you anymore. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In that first point, I talked about how Jesus took our sins upon himself and paid the debt of them when he died on the cross. So let me ask this question. For those of us who are in Christ, who already have those sins paid for, and that condemnation freed, why do we still live in that condemnation? Why do we still live as if we're condemned? Why do we still live in the guilt and shame that our sins cause when they have no hold over us and can't condemn us? And yes, I said can't. Because if you are in Jesus, it is impossible for sin to have any hold over you, for you are Jesus's. The only way your sin can have any hold over you is if you let it. Paul paints this picture clearly for us a few chapters earlier in chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then verse 7 closes this thought. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In Christ, we are free. In Christ, we are not condemned to the same fate we were when we lived in that eternal condemnation and that sin. Because there is no condemnation in Christ. We've already hit the reset button. Our sins have no hold over us, and they have no right to cause us shame, grief, or heartache. A beautiful story to demonstrate this 
comes from John chapter 8. It's debated whether or not this is actual biblical canon, but I like to think it is because it fits the sermon perfectly. (laughs) And so there's this woman. She's caught in adultery, which according to the Mosaic law means you get drugged to the public square and everyone in town, friends, family, neighbors, stones you to death. And so the Pharisees, the people who believe that righteous acts are the only way to get into heaven, drag her to the public square so that she can be stoned. Also, they drag her there because Jesus is there. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, and he's been kind of in opposition with them. So they're hoping that as they bring this woman to him and begin questioning him, that hopefully they'll be able to entrap him. And so when these Pharisees drag the lady to Jesus, They say this, according to the Mosaic law, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus, instead of responding, bends down and starts writing on the ground. Doesn't say what he wrote, but everyone is perplexed by it, including the Pharisees, who continue to press him and ask him for answers. Finally, Jesus responds with, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. He then proceeds to keep writing. One by one, every single Pharisee leaves, starting with the oldest going down to the And slowly, the crowd disperses. Finally, it's just Jesus and the woman left. And then we see this beautiful dialogue happen, starting in verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't offer condemnation. He offers freedom. He offers a reset. Those that know me know I love music. Helps me relax, helps me think. And oftentimes I can sometimes hear what God's trying to tell me in times of confusion and trial. One of my favorite songs of all time was written by Flame and an F. It's a song called Start Over. And if if you're struggling with this point, I ask you to listen to it after the sermon. But I just want to read the chorus for you guys this morning. Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders, or you can start over. Regrets, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders so you can start over. This morning I ask you to not live in the guilt of your sins. Give them to Jesus and accept the restart he offers. And finally, there's one other important truth that can't be overlooked when looking at these verses. And that is that in Jesus we cannot, cannot condemn others. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't think it can be any clearer. If we are in Jesus, we have no right to condemn others. There should be no hint of condemnation in us because we are not condemned. Because Jesus forgave us. A parable to demonstrate this perfectly comes from Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Can I ask this this morning? Are we who are forgiven denying the opportunity of forgiveness to others? Are we condemning others when we ourselves are free from sin, free from that condemnation? James 3 talks about how we cannot let blessing and cursing come out of our mouths. Do you get the picture yet? We cannot condemn people based on their past, based on their preferences in church, based on their actions, based on their ethnicity, based on their political view, based on anything. Have I stepped on any toes yet? When we give condemnation away, we leave love out of it. We build walls instead of tearing them down. We become known for what we are for rather than who we are for. And we take away people's opportunity to find that reset button. Now, I want to be clear here. I am not saying we don't point out sin. The Bible clearly says that we need to do that. But when we do it, we need to do it with gentleness and love, not self-righteousness, hate, or condemnation. With non-Christians, we need to be quick to show the love of Christ and offer the salvation that he freely gives. You can't begin to point out sin to non-Christians because the playing fields are equal. Their foundation is on the world, while our foundation is on the truth. And oftentimes, all this leads to is becoming is us becoming known for what we're for or against. A survey that paints this clearly for us was conducted by Barna back in 2007. They surveyed a group of 16 to 29-year-olds. For those that don't want to do the quick math, uh, currently they are 28 to 41-year-olds. Of those surveyed, 60% were claiming Christians, while 40% were not. From that study... And the following is a direct quote. I I wish it wasn't, but it is. The most common perception is that current-day Christianity is anti-homosexual. Overall, 91% of young non-Christians and 80% of young Christians say this phrase describes Christianity. Are you surprised? I'm not. Delving a bit deeper into the research, there were... They listed the top 12 reactions to the church and Christianity in general. 
of those top 12, nine of them were negative. Some of the other top views were that Christians were judgmental, 87%, or hypocritical, 85%. And in the top good reactions, love was not in there. Christ-like was not in there. A faith they respect was in there, but only 55% of those surveyed said that Christianity was a faith that they respect. To put this into perspective, 60% were claiming Christians. And if you think those views, those reactions have gotten any better in the 12 years since the survey, I ask you to think again. With stories of campuses kicking student groups off of them simply because they believe in the full authority of the scriptures. Not because of a stance they took, but simply for believing in the authority of the scriptures. But what do we expect when all that is seen from Christians typically, is condemnation instead of love. With Christians and those in fellowship with us, how often do we react in anger or fear when confronted with the sin of another? And in their reaction, oftentimes we fall into the temptation to condemn rather than to show a way out through Jesus. How many men and women are struggling with sexual sin but don't want to talk about it because of a fear that they will be an outcast in the church? Or how many marriages are going through a trial right now, but they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be condemned because their marriage isn't perfect? Or how many of us fall, struggle, go through life every day, acting like we are fine, but inside we are dying because we feel if we say what is really going on, we will be judged and looked at differently by those around us? And yes, Part of the blame falls on us who are sinning because sin doesn't want to come out into the light. We fear that. But also part of that comes from those of us who, when others have shared this with us, all we have done has been harsh and condemning. Chose to, instead of offering the freedom that Jesus did, the freedom that Jesus gave us, we instead just offer condemnation. And just like the unforgiving servant from the parable, who are we? to do that. From both of those topics comes this question. How could the church, the place where the love of God is supposed to flow free, the place that is supposed to show the freedom of salvation, and the place where the restoration from sin is supposed to be made easier, how could that place become a place where condemnation, pretending, and hate flow? Instead of denying access to the reset button, can we not offer it instead? Can we point others to Jesus instead of condemning them? Imagine with me, if you would, a world where we, as Christ's ambassadors, are able to heal and provide freedom through our actions and words. Not just to those who agree with us or like us, but to those who are strangers and even who we might consider as enemies. Where we are not easily offended by others' sin and where we can shower those people with love and grace at every opportunity. Where we give away the same grace that Jesus gave to us to everyone we met. And through that, people began to see the ability to find freedom, to find a reset in their life that only Jesus can provide when they so desperately need that reset. Not only to those outside the faith, but inside the faith as well.
that's a world where I want to be. That's a world I want to live in. That's a world where Christians are marked by grace and love and not hate and condemnation. Some of you may think that's impossible this morning. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to give you four steps that, while not fulfilling that world, may help us get us one step closer to that world. So step one is to receive and understand the gospel. This is the first step because it is the ultimate step because it's providing you the ultimate reset. All your sin you have done is removed and blotted out from existence when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. It's a reset that Jesus offers you, but it is only available through him. John 14, 6 says, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you're sitting there this morning saying, Josh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know all the times I've fallen short. Jesus could never love me. Jesus could never offer me that reset. You're right. I, I don't know what you've done. But Jesus knows. And he's still willing to offer you that reset this morning. And so I beg you to take this opportunity to take that reset, to take that freedom from condemnation before it's too late. So the first step is to receive and understand the gospel. The second step is to let the resetter shape your walk with him. Let Jesus shape your walk with him. If you've already accepted Jesus as your Savior and continue to live in the guilt and shame of your sin, can I ask you just one question? Why? Why do you still live in that? The hold of your sin over yourself is broken, and you are free in Jesus, free from the sin, free from the shame, and free from the guilt. And if you are one of those wrestling with guilt and shame this morning from a past sin, or maybe you're struggling with a habitual sin, I ask that you confess those to God this morning. Let the freedom that Jesus offers you reset your life. Reset your walk with him and reset your view of yourself. So receive and understand the gospel. Let the resetter shape your walk with him. Thirdly, let the resetter shape your walk with others. When describing our speech, Paul talks about it this way in Colossians. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me ask you this morning, does that describe your conversations? Does the grace and forgiveness of Jesus flow through every conversation you have, whether it be with friends, family, coworkers, strangers, even those you might consider as enemies? And if you're out there thinking, Josh, that, that, that's way too radical for me. Well, Jesus was countercultural, went against the flow many times, and was considered by many to be a radical. So who are we to be any different? Because the more we speak with grace and love, the more we begin to point people to him. The more we begin to point towards Jesus and the ultimate reset he offers. Receive and understand the gospel. Let the resetter shape your walk with him. Let the resetter shape your walk with others. And then fourthly, repent of any ways you have allowed condemnation instead of grace to flow through you. I paraphrased this verse earlier from James 3. It's going to be up on the screen now. 
Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And Jesus said in Matthew that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me ask you, have there been times where your conversation has been like that described in James, that James is warning against? And if so, what does that say about you? Where's your heart at? And so this morning, I ask that if, if that has been you, if out of your mouth have come both praise and cursing, if, you're, if you've spoken condemnation before, ask for forgiveness from God. And if possible, ask forgiveness from the person you've wronged. And through that process of forgiveness and repentance, begin changing the way you speak to be more like that described in Colossians, full of grace and seasoned with salt. Therefore, there is now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in you, Lord, there is no condemnation for us. That you have freed us from that condemnation. But Father, I ask for those of us that are wrestling with condemnation this morning, whether it be the eternal condemnation, whether it be the condemnation that we feel because of past sin, or whether we have been condemning to others, Lord. I ask that you reveal it to us and begin the process of healing, that, begin, that you would help us begin to see grace and love that you offer, that we would begin to reset our lives in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so this morning, during the time of response, I just have a few things for you guys to be thinking over. If you've never asked Jesus to free you from your condemnation, this morning, ask him to free you from it. Be free from that condemnation. Secondly, do the sins from your past still haunt you or hurt you? Are you plagued with guilt and shame? Turn to Jesus and give those sins to him and accept his love and forgiveness that he freely offers. Thirdly, are you guilty of condemning others? If so, confess and ask God to help you show more love and to not condemn, but to have your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. This time is yours.
Would you stand and sing with us? Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to
newness of life that you give us freely. God, I pray that all of us would walk in that today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Have a seat for me real quick. Thank you. Well, uh, um, thank you once again, Josh, for that wonderful message. And I don't know if you're like me. I've been a believer for uh, a really long time. I've heard that verse a lot, that passage a lot. Uh, but even as a believer, um, you find yourself in those ruts. Or you find yourself in those places where you think that even though God has forgiven me, um, he certainly, there, there's still feelings of guilt and shame. Uh, and he's freed us from that. It doesn't mean that we can just go on and do whatever we want. But we as believers don't have to live in that anymore. Just the freedom. If you're here as a believer, I want you to know that you can feel that freedom today to know that he, his grace is sufficient to cover all of that. And if you're not here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you need to know that condemnation is real. Um, it's a real thing. It's a real fate for those who don't have Jesus Christ. He came to save us from that. And I pray that today you would heed the words of the scripture, heed the words of Josh, and, and give your life to Jesus Christ so that condemnation is not your fate. Um, all that said, uh, we want to just thank Josh uh, for everything that he's done. He's served at this church for the last three months uh, as our intern, and it's been a blast to have him. I mean, he literally said no to nothing. Like, he did everything we asked him to do, um, and he seemed to enjoy it all, which is crazy. So we actually learned a lot from Josh uh, through, this, through this whole process. And so uh, in about ten minutes this morning, I went ahead and put it together a really shoddy tribute video okay so enjoy that for you uh for, enjoy it together please killing it guys Good stuff. It's just good stuff. I know you've seen that before, but we couldn't play that more, I don't think. <clears throat> so, Josh, would, would you come up here real fast? I know you're all the way back there. It's like, what in the world? Uh, we want to present Josh with a few things. Uh, he's still going to be around. He starts school this uh, Thursday. He'll still be around. This is not goodbye by any means, but we want to at least, at least thank him. Um, um, as a ministry for everything that he's done. So we have a few little tokens of our appreciation for him. And the first is this. It's just a little plaque that has Philippians 1.6 on it. Uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If you don't know Josh, he's really, uh, he doesn't really know what he's going to do in a year. Um, and this internship has hopefully been used by the Lord to speak into his life. Uh, but the promise of scripture stands. Um, whatever God is doing in this man, he's going to bring it to completion. And it's been a joy to just see uh, some of that process already. And so uh, I want to give that to him. It says FBN internship summer 2019. And as he recalls kind of the the, the funner times of the internship, you could always flip this over, uh, because the first time I tried to make this, I misspelled it, um, and that might m more rightly, you know, represent the nature of his internship at times, and so uh, on a good day, you can present the good, the good side, and when you're just thinking about nothing but the funny times, flip it over, 
and you'll remember how dorky I am sometimes. So uh, we also have a notebook here with just some personal notes in it and uh, a handful of gift cards to, to send him into college well. And so there you go, my friend. And we also, this is pretty cool, uh, if you don't know, Butch Lauder is a guy who goes here, and he hand makes pins. Um, and I know they're just pins, but he actually gets wood from uh, Bethlehem, from the uh, olive trees, and he, he hand makes them. Uh, and so Josh has one of those on the way to, um, those are greatly sought after. They're really, really cool and beautiful, and so uh, Butch is making him one of those as well. So he can look back and remember uh, this internship, and uh, again, it's just been a joy. Can we give Josh a round of applause again? So uh, be sure to greet him, uh, pat him on the back, tell him thank you. Uh, if you're here and you have a fourth through sixth grader, uh, one of Josh's deals was that he started a whole ministry for your kids, and so you definitely need to get up here uh, and shake his hand and thank him for that. He did so many, so many wonderful things, and so um, we're glad that he'll still be around, still doing ministry with us. Um, but yeah. Thanks again, Josh. Um, also want to go ahead and uh, uh, mention this. Brandon uh, and his wife, Grace, she is being induced tomorrow um, for their, what, se seventh kid? <laughs> Fourth kid. <laughs> Fourth kid, uh, which is crazy. And so uh, we want to pray for them and uh, just lift Grace up as she uh, uh, bears through that. And Brandon as well and the family, that God would just supply them everything as they, as they go into that time tomorrow. And also just uh, anything that the Lord might bring to them uh, soon after that. And so what, can we have a quick time of prayer for uh, these special people? Our Lord God, we, uh, we thank you so much for the work that you've done uh, in this place. Uh, God, we know that you're, you're vibrantly here each and every week, uh, but these past three months have just been an absolute joy uh, to, to serve uh, you in ministry with my friend Josh, Lord, and I'm just grateful for the relationship that you've, uh, you've spawned between us, but also, God, just the relationship that he has with the wider body here at FBN. Um, God, we just pray for his future. We pray that Philippians 1.6 uh, would be a constant uh, promise in his heart, uh, even in the times of doubt and confusion, to know that you are creating in him something um, that will be complete, it will be good, and it will be exactly what you want. Um, it might not feel good all the time, God, um, but it is what you want. And so uh, we find that he finds great confidence in that. God, we also want to pray for Brandon and Grace. We so appreciate them and the work they do here at FBN. And uh, they're going into uh, uh, another time of just giving birth and adding to their family. And it's such a joyous time. But we also ask that you would just give Grace um, and, and the baby just uh, health and goodness. God, that it would be uh, a routine procedure and that all would go well. And that you would just bless this family, sustain them in all the ways uh, that they will need. Uh, according to your grace, Lord, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, you've seen the slides, you have uh, your bulletin, uh, there's posters out in the Welcome Center that tell you what's going on around here at FBN, so instead of wasting your time, just use the stuff that we've already given you uh, so you can keep track of what's going on here at FBN. Other than that, we love you guys. Go with Christ. from being perfect there were days that I regret on this battlefield I struggle with the lies that I have 
my